William. Hello, Mr. Horseshoe. How are you? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Busy, but fine. Very good. Let's let's crack on then. Uh, so, uh, welcome you and everyone else to Man in the Stand. Uh, let me just tell you what Man in the Stand is. Man in the Stand is a weekly podcast where we ruminate and discuss and debate all of the weekly sporting goings on in the world, and um, and maybe look ahead to to what's going on this coming week because there always seems to be something of monumental importance going on in the sporting world. And uh, I just would like to, uh, you know, talk with a few like-minded individuals about those sporting events and, uh, and discuss them and, uh, and uh, see if we can um, make some sense of them all. So first of all, William, I'd like to introduce you to the audience, William Kijani. Uh, you're a political betting analyst at Star Sports, but you're also, like me, a bit of a, a, bit of a mad sports fan. Is that true? Very much so. Guilty as charged. So tell me, William, about yourself. Where did you kind of uh, grow up and what did you do uh, sporting-wise as a young fella? What did you enjoy? Uh, what did you play? And, and, and kind of what got you in the, in the kind of bitten and the bug for sports? Um, well, how I got into what I do actually comes sort of through sports. And I was actually sort of noticed by star in that sense um because i blogged as a young kid i actually wanted to be a doctor that clearly wasn't my true career pathway um my misunderstanding of science has became very clear so what i ended up <laughs> doing um to compensate was the only thing i really could do as a very poor student which was um right and i loved sports lots of them from early on um i developed favorites quickly um, they were football, test cricket, rugby union, pro road cycling, and also I'd actually suggest to an extent golf, although that may have been a later thing. As a kid, I actually played football and cricket and rugby. I was a number eight or a proper um, a rugby player. Um, yeah. That all sort of really rather ended when I slipped badly on some AstroTurf and dislocated my knee. Um, yeah, um, it put me off really playing um, sports quite a while, um, it's in quite a few years. So most of my exercise now there is just sort of um, walking and running until it becomes safe maybe to fight and possibly to do again. Um, but I love sports. Um, I write about them every day alongside my job, um, analysing politics, etc. And also I very much um, enjoy sort of being outside and um, doing physical activity. So maybe in the future I'll play one or two. But um, yeah, I'm a big sports nut and um, looking forward to being on this week's show. Great. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm I, I'm a, a bit like yourself. I uh, grew up uh, playing rugby, uh, but I did in a different part of the world. So, um, you know, just a bit of a background for the listeners. So I'm from New Zealand. I uh, like so in New Zealand, there are basically two sports. Well, there was when I was growing up um, rugby in the winter and cricket in the summer. And um, so that was it. There was kids who played football uh, and, and, you know, uh, it's actually it's actually growing. Uh, it's actually probably the largest participation sport for kids under sort of under fifteen in New Zealand now because 
parents are kind of frightened about what's going to happen to their kids on the rugby field and, and uh, mothers get pretty nervous when they see the knocks that those kids take. So, um, but that wasn't kind of the, what really wasn't worried about back in my day. Uh, so, yeah, rugby uh, in the winter and, and cricket in the summer. And, um, yeah, great, great New Zealand childhood. And, and uh, But such of the depth of talent in New Zealand rugby, I think, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed rugby but was never going to get anywhere in the game and, and mm. enjoyed cricket but, once again, was a bit – enjoyed bowling fastballs but didn't particularly enjoy facing them. And um, – uh, so, uh, you know, and enjoyed golf and and everything, you know, very much an outdoor lifestyle in New Zealand, and and and, but yeah, just became absolutely crazy about sport. I mean, I watch everything. Um, I watch I, if I don't, if I can't see it, I'll record it, and uh, you know, and if I, you know, I'll watch everything too, especially on the COVID at the moment. I'll watch it till ungodly hours because I just love sport. I just love the human drama of it. I love the unpredictability of it and the competition and the athleticism i just love it you know um and i and i love all i love all sport you know i'll watch pretty much anything so um yeah so that's a little bit about me and uh you know so in saying that going through the order of of what we're going to talk about tonight um i want to just touch on a few things that have happened this week in the sporting world that is the UK Masters snooker, which was um, an, an amazing um, uh, result. I know you didn't see it, William. You mentioned before, but I did. So I'm going to sort of take you through that and uh, and what happened there. It was an absolutely incredible performance by Yang Bing Tao um, to beat John Higgins in the UK Masters final at the tender age of 20. Um, the NFL, um, the divisional players for the NFL happened this weekend and, and they were absolutely amazing. A couple of boilovers there too, one in particular. Uh, the golf, the Sony Open from Hawaii um, and then a very interesting tournament there. Uh, the cricket, I want you to fill me in on the cricket because I actually, that was one thing I missed and, and, and I'm kicking myself because I love cricket and was told it was one of the finest final day performances in cricketing uh, test cricket history and I saw you raving about it and I, so I want you to fill me in on that because um, it was an, um, apparently amazing uh, and then uh, I want to touch on a bit of football at the end in terms of what's happening in the UK Premier uh, in the Premier League uh, in the, at the moment and, uh, and then maybe just a little bit of ending a bit of sports news and a bit of uh, maybe a bit of touch on uh, just a little glance on the racing as well in terms of maybe I'm going to ask you what you might one one or two fancies for Cheltenham so Let's first of all. Uh... Hello, hello. How are you? Fine. Um, yes. Let's hope we can keep this link going. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Really sorry about that. That was entirely my fault. I pressed the wrong button on here. No problem, mate. No problem. So yeah, let me just tell you about this Yang Bing Tao. Uh, he's um, he's twenty years old. Uh, and he wins the UK Masters. Now, the only other guy that is younger to win the UK Masters is a guy by the name of Ronnie O'Sullivan, who won it at 19 years old. So um, he's in very good company. Uh, but what was so impressive about this guy was the way that he beat John Higgins 10-8. Now, anyone who watches snooker knows John Higgins is a very, very good player and a very mad, hard man to beat, especially on safety play. But this guy hung with Higgins the whole day. Uh, and Higgins led 
uh, twice throughout the day, you led 5-3 and you led 7-5. couldn't shake this this young Yan Bing Tao. The funny thing about this guy is he's not built like your traditional Asian snooker player. Like, if you know Ding Zhongwei or Marco Fu, they're all kind of small, slight guys. This guy looks like he could prop in front row an all-black scrum. Like, he's a big guy, strong, um, beefy kind of individual, but he's got such a deft touch on the snooker table, and some of the shots he plays are absolutely stunning. He is a real talent, and if this guy doesn't win a couple of world championships, I'd be absolutely stunned. Uh, and what was so impressive about him was his his nervelessness. You kind of always, you know, what happens with Mark, uh, with John Higgins? He wears players down. He makes them nervous. He 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 beats them through just sheer attrition, but he did. Yang Bintao didn't do it. He didn't buckle. He didn't get nervous. He kept his bottle and 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 and, and pushed Higgins to the end to the point where he actually hit the lead and and won. And and, and yeah, massive massive talent. This Yang Bintao, a thrilling tournament and um and and someone to watch out for for sure. What one thing I would say is that um, I've got quite a few seasoned snook followers on my timeline. Yeah, I've almost never seen them in such raptures, and that includes for well championships. That includes for plenty of um, memorable Ronnie you know, Sullivan games, um, sets or frames, I should say, that went the extra mile. So clearly, yeah. clearly, this guy has a really big future ahead of him. Well, yeah, I agree, William. I think that, that Raptures is a, is a great description. I'm in Raptures about this guy. He's such a breath of fresh air to the game. Ronnie O'Sullivan was bemoaning the fact about two or three months ago that there was no new young talent coming through in the game, that there was no decent young players. Well, this guy is decent. And and not just decent, he's, he's brilliant. And uh, so... It's it's a great thing for snooker to see a young guy come through like this, and he's a likable guy. And I, I yeah, I, I, raptures is a great word. I, I I'm in raptures about him as well. I love him. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. So now let's uh, let's head off to the NFL. Um, did you watch any of the NFL playoffs, William? I did. I watched. Uh, I think it was three of them, include, including. Um, the Kansas Chiefs sort of remarkable, remarkable victory over the Browns and also, of course, Breeze versus Brady. Um, I, I am not an NFL expert. So I wouldn't be able to tell you about um, positionings or whatever. But um, No, me neither. I just, I, I, as I say, I love watching it. I, you know, I, I love Aaron Rodgers. I, I'm a big Packers fan because of Aaron Rodgers because I just think he's a, a brilliant quarterback. So, I mean... Yeah, so let's go through the results. Uh, Green Bay, um, 32, uh, LA Rams, 18. I think that was expected. Um, I think the, the Rams are, are a solid pick for the, actual, for the Super Bowl. I, I actually think that these guys are, uh, you know, behind Aaron Rodgers, I think that they are a, a fantastic team, but they've got some great running backs and, some, and, 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 and to stop um, 
you know, uh, Aaron Donald, uh, uh, who's the who's who's the uh, LA Rams defensive's kind of maestro, was, was, was brilliant. So uh, yeah, the Packers were excellent and, and shut out the Rams. Uh, the Ravens fell to the Bills, uh, the Buffalo Bills, um, you know, seventeen three to the Bills. I think the Bills are, are a sleeper team. I, I I actually expected the Ravens to win that. Uh, Josh Allen though is an, a brilliant quarterback for the for the Buffalo Bills, and Lamar Jackson. He kind of flattered to deceive again. I, I, I really like this guy. He's got the he's the most he, he's got the most yards rushing for any quarterback in the history of the NFL. This guy is incredible in the way that he rushes. But the problem with Lamar Jackson is, for me, is that he seems to want to try and win the game on his own. Do you know, um, he 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 he's brilliant. There's no doubt about that. But I think some of the choices he makes. In in, in 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 playoff games, I think he tries to carry the team almost by himself, and that you know when you're up against really decent opposition uh, like the Bills and, and you know in playoff opposition that that doesn't work. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you know that second season now Lamar Jackson has kind of not perhaps performed as well as what I think people are expecting him to. But but the bills were the bills were actually a, a, the favourites to win that game and and Josh Allen is a, is a is a big guy he's underrated he's a big strong t- quarterback he he looks like a linebacker this guy and, uh, and and he can throw and he and uh, and he's got Stefan Diggs who came from the Minnesota Vikings last year Stefan Diggs is an excellent running back and he's got a great guy to pass to there and the Bills are an excellent team so you know they could go all the way and then the Chiefs and the Browns well the Chiefs won at twenty two seventeen I think. The Browns pushed the Chiefs further than what a lot of people thought. What What do you think, William? I thought I thought the Browns played quite well. They did, um, and I gotta say, I'm no expert on wall callings, but it looks to me as if the clash of heads at the corner could very easily. Um, apparently, there is a very stupid rule, and NFL aficionados will know more than me about this. But apparently. Um, bizarre rule prevented that from being either a penalty or a touchdown in yeah. itself. You will know the clash phase I'm talking about, I'm sure, by now. Yeah. Um, that's going to be interesting on a number of fronts for the Chiefs. Not just that, but also when Mahomes starts um, in the championship game, especially yeah. given the current um, standards we have now regarding concussion. Um, yeah. I'm, no, I'm no medical expert, but it looked to me as if he'd taken a very bad hit. Um, and I think there'd be questions asked if he played, uh, um, serious questions asked. But it was a very intense game. The Chiefs did what they do, um, which is run the ball extremely fast and extremely relentlessly with Mahomes on the field. And it remains to be seen if they can do that without him. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I mean the guy that takes over, um, took over from um, uh, 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 Mahomes is a guy called Chad Henney or Henny, um, and he played okay, quite well considering that he was dropped into a, a major melting pot of pressure, um, and um, he 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 did fine. But will he do as well against a a very very good Buffalo Bills team? Um, I mean, I, I'm personally know. hoping that he doesn't because um, one of the things I discovered about the NFL recently is the Buffalo Bills um, 
talent for table slamming. I, now, I don't know if you're aware of this or if anybody listening is aware of this, but just search Buffalo Bill's table into Google and okay. just enjoy endless hours of people flinging themselves through barbecue tables. It's absolutely, <laughs> it's, no, it's absolutely incredible. And you see, I've always been a Green Bay Packers fan in terms of my me NFL too. Yeah, um, support. Too. Yeah. But I swear to God, it's the Buffalo Bills really right on their tail just for people being thrown through tables. And I'm so <laughs> disappointed that they have, they have to make the championship game in a COVID hit season. Could you imagine if we were all allowed to be together? Yeah. What Buffalo Bills has to be doing to each other, just even for winning a playoff game, um, let alone making the championship. So I'll be rooting for the Bills um, against the Chiefs and hope yeah. okay. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I agree with you about, I've not seen those videos. I'm going to look that up though. But one thing that I love about uh, the American support of NFL is these, these tailgate parties these guys have like before the yes. game, like it's it's enormous. These have these guys have huge parties before the game, and uh, it looks like great crack. I have to say, it looks fantastic fun, and um, I'd love to go. I'd love to go to an NFL game because those guys party. You know, like they 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 look like they have a great time, and uh, or you know any of the teams. Um, but yeah, but those I have to have a look at that. I will have a look at. I will have a look at that. Bills, um, Bills going through tables for sure. Yeah, um, and then uh, the last game was the Bucks versus the Saints, which was an. I, I think this was a boil over. I think everyone expected the, the New Orleans Saints to win, and I drew Brees to 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 do it, and and Tampa they. Buccaneers underneath Tom Brady go and, go and win, which was huge. I, I mean, they, the, 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 the Saints had beaten the Bucks twice in the season, and the second time they beat them, they absolutely hammered them. Uh, and and uh, so I, I personally thought that the Saints were going were gonna to walk that, um, and the Bucks were, were amazing. Tom Brady, I mean, do you know, do you know this? Get this. He has won more playoff games. There are only four teams, teams that have won more playoff games than he has won individually in the NFL. Isn't that incredible? The man is truly, truly limitless. Um, I, I honestly thought he was going to retire, and when he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I, I sort of thought, hmm, will this be sort of the last time I hear of Tom Brady? Um, postseason, obviously, I was sort of very wrong on that, even as a casual sort of NFL aficionado. But um, I mean, we're we're beyond superlatives for the guy um, mm. by now, and not just that, but also his longevity as as well. You know, it's all well and good um, his talent and his stats, and and they are incredible. But to do it over such a long period of time, I mean, when yeah. was the first Brady Super Bowl win? 2002, I think, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and if you've seen that, the, they started showing on the NFL what he looked like on his first um, recruitment camp, right? So he just looked like this corn-fed country white boy who looked absolutely <laughs> like nothing. Like he just looked kind of. He was slow. He was dumpy. He was just average, really. Nothing to write home about um, when he when he 
when they, they released his first kind of, as I say, his, his physical shots, like his just him standing in the shorts and doing the um, that 40-yard dash that he does and all that. And he was just so unspectacular. He was just, you looked at him and just thought, well, I could run as quick as that. You know, like it was really average. And But look at the guy. I mean, you just, it's absolutely, what he does and how he lifts teams is incredible. And and I would never have given those guys a shot to get to the playoffs. And now they face the Green Bay Packers. So let's look at them too. Now let's go through those games. Uh, if I was to say to you, Packers, Buccaneers, who would you pick, William? The way the Packers eventually manoeuvred themselves around the Rams' defence um, would make me very hopeful for them. Yeah. But that said, um, just pricing it in my head, I wouldn't really have it much more than 2.5 points either way on the Vegas line. So, home advantage and if the weather's bad, Packers. Yep, I agree. I think the Packers do it. I don't, as I say, I don't think they do it by much, but I think I, I just think Aaron Rodgers is incredible. Um, so is Tom Brady. So uh, it could be it could be a classic, um, but I'm going to give it to the Packers to edge it by three or four. Um, and then the other game, um, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. You've obviously gone emotionally uh, behind the Bills for the table slams, and um, looking at the Bills. I, I, I don't. That's a. I don't think that's a bad shout. I, I, especially if Mahomes is not playing. If Mahomes is not playing, I, I'm going to go the Bills. The Bills. What about you? I want the Bills to win. I hope they will win on merit, regardless of not Mahomes plays. I, I think the Chiefs are the better team overall. Yeah. Um, but it's quite clear that Mahomes is on the level of sort of Rogers or Brady or Breeze. Yeah, he is. And yeah. I think I, I honestly think his presence there is a three point five points or more um factor. So at the moment Let's say let's say Mahomes is playing then, William. You if, if he if he's playing if he's playing I have the Chiefs favours. Um, yeah. I, I have them winning if he's playing. Yeah. But um that I, I can't believe that's something we're going to know frankly until the day. No, I think yeah, I think uh, I, I, you know they're doing all sorts of medical tests. He says he feels fine, and he, I mean, he, maybe he does. I mean, I don't know what the protocols are, but it's all very different now. I mean, ten, five, even five years ago, he would have played hundred percent. He would have played, but now with all of the NFL rulings and these court cases and all this head injury stuff, they've got to be seen to be erring on the side of caution. So it's, I'd say it's fifty-fifty whether he plays or not. Do you know? Agreed, agreed. Right, so we've squared that off. Now, uh, just want to touch on uh, the Sony Open, um, which was played at the Waialae Golf Club in Hawaii. My favourite tournament of the year. This Now, if I was to go into two tournaments, physically I want to go to two tournaments before I die. It is the Masters and the Sony Open. The, for two different reasons. I want to go to the Masters because I just want to go to golf heaven. And I want to go to the mass. I want to go to the, um, to the Sony Open because it just looks so beautiful every year. It looks so sunny. There's fishing. There's surfing. There's palm trees and whales frolicking in the ocean. It just looks great. And when you're sitting in where I am, rural Ireland, and it's freezing cold, and you you just look at that and think, I want to go to there. Do you know? Like it's so beautiful. Um, 
And uh, so I love I love watching the Sony Open. I love the course as well. It's a it's a tight testing track. Um, and uh, and as you know, William, I do some 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 golf tipping and selection for for Star Sports. I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And um, my man, I picked uh, uh, amongst others Jochen Neiman, who who came tied second. So I'm 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 happy enough with that. But I I, I, I actually think he knows. And I know, and everyone else who watches knows, he kind of had the chance to win that uh, and, and and let that slip away. But uh, but Kevin Nah, all credit to Kevin Nah, who won on twenty one under, a fantastic result. But what I want to talk about is is Brendan Steele because here is a guy that now for two years running has been in the lead with a with a one two three shot lead at different points of the day. In the control, in the driver's seat, on the verge of winning. He did it last year. He was on the verge of winning against Cameron Smith. He 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 bottled it. Well, for one, he just did. He did. It's he just bottled it and 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 lost in a playoff to Cameron Smith. And he was once again in control this year. He was at one point two shots ahead. Okay, he had a few holes to play, but but a good player shuts those out. And he just got those rabbit in the headlights looks. You just started looking at him and you just started seeing this guy starting to doubt. You can just see it in, in him. And 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 I felt bad for the guy because he 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 plays well, but when the pressure comes on, he he bottled it, do you know? And and that was, and so Kevin Nard wasn't going to take any second, you know, uh, uh, introductions. He 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 went through, and 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 the guy can putt, and and he, you know, and Neiman played well as well, and, and and tried to bust through as well, and uh, and and in the end, Brendan still went from first to being tied third on the day, and and as I say, um, Neiman went through, and a guy called Chris Kirk, um, who was in, it was actually amazing his story. He was on a medical exemption for a year. And he had to finish third or better to keep his playing card on the PGA Tour. Imagine you've got it basically said at the start of the tournament, okay, Chris, you have to play and and be third or better. Otherwise, your career stops and you have to go back to qualifying school on the Corn Ferry Tour or whatever it's called now. And he finished tied second. So he kept his card. Uh, and, uh, you know, so fair play to Chris Kirk. And, uh you know, it was a fantastic tournament. Kevin now deserved to win because he made the putts. Brendan Steele had the chance, and he and he choked. And uh, you know, some other you know, um, Webb Simpson played great again. Mark Leishman played very well. And uh, and and this week we're off to the um, to the American Express, which is you know the, the the next tournament. We're also at the HSBC Championship in Abu Dhabi, uh, and it's interesting. We've got Justin Thomas playing there. And and Rory McIlroy, uh, whereas at the American Express we have um, we had John Rahm, but he's actually pulled out. Interestingly enough, I don't quite know why. There's no word as to why Rahm pulled out of the American Express, whether it's a COVID issue or, or what have you. And and Brooks Kepka is actually making his comeback in the American Express's first win, uh, first you know uh, tournament for the season. So some interesting stuff going on in the golf this week. Is anyone you particularly like the look of? Or you're keeping an eye on? I'm. I've long been a fan of Abraham Anser, right. um, and I think he's got 
a more than fair chance in the American Express. He, I, I think he's. I mean, I I have to defer to you when it comes to golf matters, although I do privately keep watch and um, make shortlists, etc. of players. Ants has been sort of close to the top for a long time, and I feel like um, Joachim Neven, he's, he's one of a generation, actually, of players who are outside of America and Europe who I think are going to make their big breakthrough. Um, Sebastian Munoz is one. Um, yeah. Who, who will, yeah, I like um, him. He will win something massive. This year, I don't know. Yeah. I just the key is finding out when. But a win something massive this year, I would just be so terribly unsurprised if he was a major winner. Um, within let's say the next eighteen months, um, yeah. answer I I would have thought would be suited by the course, be suited by um the the way things will go out there. I can see him going uh pretty well. Um. Aside from that, nobody else sort of quite um, jumped up. But it's interesting to know, by the way, Answer, I think, shot 66 and 63 over the weekend at the stadium course last year. Um, mm. He has his courses. He's a very accurate player when it comes yeah. to especially He's very good with the flat stick, so probably him. Yeah, there are courses where, where guys like Answer and Kisner and, and, and Brian Harmon and Ches Reevy can play. And thrive on, and this is definitely one of them for sure. And I, here's my thing on answer, William. I've been burnt by answer. I, I, I really liked that guy for a while. I was convinced that he was going to come through and and win something big. Mm. But my problem with answer is he gets really shaky with the putter when the pressure goes on on day on day four on round four. He gets. Uh, I've watched him two or three times now, kind of just choke up a little bit um, on his putts. And so I just, for that reason, I can't take answer anymore. I've, I, I've, I've, I've called him out a few times. I agree with you. This, he, there are courses that guy plays that he's absolutely suited to. He, his stats back him up. He's one of the most accurate drivers on tour. He, he, he's brilliant. Um, iron, a ball striker, second ball uh, hitter, like great iron player. But there's something about answer that makes me, Annoyed because he, he he's, he's a bit like Finau. He he when he gets on the greens and when the pressure goes on, he just just I've watched him miss putts that he should have made repeatedly. So I can't take answer anymore. Um, uh, and so I so for me the, at the Amex, I am also watching a, a new sort of raft of players. Um, Cameron Davis is an Australian guy called Cameron Davis. This guy, man, he is. Always at the top of the leaderboards now. He was at he was at the top at the Sony Open last week. He's a he's a, this course should suit him. He's not a long player. He's an accurate player, uh, and uh, and I think Cameron Davis is is coming due. He's he's been for the last six months. I've been watching this guy. He's 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 getting better and better and better. He's getting more and more used to it. He's he's thrown away a couple of leads at, at points. And I think he's due. And another guy called Tom Hoagie, um, he's a young American player. I really like the way this guy plays. If he could just, he he, he seems to squander. He'll have one bad round uh, and squander some and some missable parts. Whereas I think it actually it's not through nerves. I think it's almost through carelessness. Uh, and if this guy could actually just. Keep it together. Uh, uh, Hoagie and, and Davis are two guys that, if they 
I think it will come with maturity. I think they're both still young, but they're two guys to watch out for at very long odds at the Amex. Um, and Chris Kirk as well, the guy that did so well at the Sony to finish second. I think now the pressure's off. There's no doubt he's a quality player. He was in the, I think it was the Alabama um, uh, um, college team with Brendan Todd and, and somebody else, uh, uh, another great player. And, and so he was a great college player, Chris Kirk. He's just been beset by injury. But now that the pressure's off and he's actually, uh, uh, he's okay for the year. He's got his card. He's quality, this kid. Uh, well, he's not a kid. He's an he's a, he's a, he's a older man. But if this guy's quality, and I think, He's, he's also one at odds to, to look out for. All right. Now, I want you, William, to tell me about the cricket. I want you uh, to, to sort of paint a bit of a picture for me because I, I missed all of it. Um, uh, I, I'd kept an eye on it, and I love my cricket. And, 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 you know, speaking proudly as a New Zealander, now that we've reached number one test-playing nation in the world, even though I would trade that all for that win in the one-day um, World Cup against you guys when we lost in the Super oh. Over, which I still haunts me to this day. That was a dangerous um, ground. Oh my God! That, I mean, I mean, what are the chances of a guy throwing the ball in from the boundary, hitting the bat of the runner, and and going off to the bound? I mean, Jesus Christ! Um, so I'm still, as I say, you can tell I'm still haunted. Um, tell me about the uh, the India um, Australia um, Test match in the last day. Okay, so I mean, first things first to say is that this was possibly one of the great days of test. Oh, not possibly one of the great days of test cricket. It just was one of the great days of test cricket. Um, to set the scene for non heads uh, or non cricket aficionados, India had played manfully through the series. It'd been a really good, really well contested series, but they'd had several really bad injury misses. Um, so what was the series gone. score up until the last test? Sorry, William. What, what, no, where, where, what, where, where was it poised at? It was poised at um, winner takes all. Um, okay. They'd actually managed to hold on for a draw in the last test, but in that um, process, they'd managed to lose Ravi Ashwin. Um, Ashwin is one of the world's best spinners, many would say. He is the world's best spinner. He also is um, very handy with the bats. Um, not just that, but they lost a lot of their other really big, important players. So they had Jasper Brumra. He is one of the world's yeah. best pace bowlers. That's very important in Australia, especially. Um, India are a team, I'm dumbing this down a lot, I appreciate, but India are a team that play on the subcontinent. Um, they tend to be known for producing really good spinners. When you get a player with the quality of Bumrah um, and you're a team that you know has pitches at spin, it's a big deal. Um, and to lose him on that tour, right when you'd want him, um, yeah. was a massive, massive blow. Um, so... There was all that, um, not just um, losing Bumrah and Ashwin, but also losing Virat Kohli, who is a name that will be familiar to many people listening. Yeah. He had to go, I believe, it was for paternity leave. So you have an India team which, whilst more than capable, because um, it's a very good generation of Test cricket players they have, um, has have lost their best batsman, um, one who has an excellent record in Australia very early. Um, 
they've lost their best bowler or the best fast bowler and their best spin bowler. Um, so right, so they were they were properly weakened. They were properly weakened. Um, Virat Kohli had missed um, that due to the first birth of his first child. They also um, were losing, of course, not just him but Ravi Ashwin. So they lost the best spinner, and then you lose your best um, fast bowl. So essentially, lost the core of the team. It's like England losing Stokes, one of Bess or Leach, and also Roots. You, wow. you would really, yeah, you would really <laughs> yeah. change yeah, that. Um, yeah. However, um, heading into the final day of the series, um, so where were we at the beginning of the final day? Like, what, 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 what can you remember? What the? Yeah, of course. Um, he- heading at the final day, um, they needed three hundred and twenty-four to win. Three twenty-four. Expectation. Okay. Was was, was any was no wickets lost? Any wickets lost? Um, they needed, I believe, I actually believe they had made it without losing any wickets. But okay. that said, the expectation was still yeah. that they I mean, 324 need. on the final day at the Gabba, which is, uh, and it was interesting, um, uh, you know, they were saying, wait till we get you on the Gabba, you know, like, so, um, uh, yeah, right. So 324 is a big chase on the final day with, a, with a, as you say, a significantly weakened team. Yeah, you would, you'd back Australia, wouldn't you, you know? Yeah, all day long, um, you're back to Australia. They were well odds on um, to win. Um, and it, it was just honestly an absolutely incredible, incredible scene. So they needed 324 further runs to win at the end and at the end of today because um, it took place just last night. Yeah. Originally, it was all about survival and it was going just fine. Um, Chubman Gill um, stuck stuck around. He did well. And Rohit Sharma, unfortunately, found an early edge. But the ball was unplayable. Absolutely unplayable. It was a Jaffa. Uh, a Jaffa from Pat Cummins. Right. Who probably, I think, underlined his status as the best bowler in the world in this series. Um, there will be... Uh, there's debate over this because people say it's Paul yeah. Didn't Rash he get and... um, named man of this? Uh, wasn't it? Was it him or Mitchell Stark who got named bowler? He got man, man of the series. Man of the I series. Think that's, yeah. I think that's pretty. Um, I think it's pretty fair. Yeah. Um, um, so they so they needed that. Um, so 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 it was so. How early did their first wicket get? Uh, were they they, they, they um, lost eight, their first they wicket were 18... early? Yeah, eighteen to one. Rohit Sharma went after only eight point two overs. Okay. Then Shubman Gill and Cheshaswar Pajara, um, and Cheshaswar Pajara, I should say, is seen very much as a Rahul Dravid-like figure in the sense that he just soaks up balls and he soaks <laughs> yeah. up time. I remember Dravid. Yeah, they called him the Wall, didn't they? Because he they just would not yeah. get bowled out, would he? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Pajara did very much the same despite the fact actually that he took some pretty bad punishment he was hit um back of the helmets ribs arms um he got balls to all of them he lasted for 211 balls before cummins got him lbw um cummins also got a jinka rahani there's a theme developing here um but rahani stepped in and then came Rizbar pant and then everything changed um Rizwell Pant is a wicketkeeper batsman who 
really, really plays with some fire. And he okay. absolutely took Nathan Lyon to task. He was reverse weaving him. He was putting him back over long off. He was going down the field. Um, and he went basically beast mode, as the kids say. He scored 89 of 138 balls. Wow. And whilst Mayank Agrawal was bowled, uh, well, he was caught from Wade and bowled by Cummins again, um, went only for nine. He partnered with Washington Sundar, um, who scored 22 before he was bowled by Lyon. And at this point, they were very much within touching distance. So it was essentially a mixture of resoluteness, especially from Pajara, yeah. and some exceptional batting from uh, Richard Pant, as well as Chubman Gill, who we shouldn't forget, that managed to give win India um, a win. At the Gabba, by the way, yeah, um, I don't think it's been done in thirty-four years. No, the um, Gabba, the Gabba is a is, is a stronghold of Australian cricket. I mean, you don't go to the Gabba and win as a visiting team because that's oh, it was Excuse me, it was it was thirty-two years, um, and it was absolutely incredible. Just mainly. Because... So would you would you would you have so to, listening to what you've just said, having not watched it, you your sort of description of it gives me the impression that Pant changed the tone of the game. Yeah, very much so. Um, he was absolutely exceptional. He made it possible really for India to win. I, I think the way that India were defending. Um, yeah. They'd have had probably every chance holding out for a draw, but he actually bought the board give us the interview. And it sounds to me like he he basically gave the Indians belief, like, well, hey, hang on, we could actually win this, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely, he did, and he's been exceptional. I think he had a very good um, series all round, but the way he went twenty twenty mode in Australia, which, by the way, is a very difficult thing to do. Um, not only because of the bouncy nature of the pitches, but also um, the way that the Australian attack operates in the yeah. sense yeah. that um, there's so much pace, there's so much control, there's such consistent line and length. Yeah, um, It's very difficult to take him on. But um, he absolutely monstered it. He absolutely monstered it. And um, it, it's a huge achievement for an India side. Um, yeah. It is. I mean, and, and, and they and they copped a bit of stick throughout the tournament as well, you know. Because I mean, you go to you go to Australia and you and you and you playing those guys, you know that you know there's a lot of sledging going on, and you know it's it's a pretty willing environment. So, to, to I mean, to, for India to go there and 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 to, and to beat them in the backyard is massive. Um, and, but but I. I it's funny you said Dravid before, William, because I remember Dravid and Tendulkar uh, about, may, I think, maybe 15 years ago. They they went to Australia and they just they started getting all those short balls and, and they just stood there and let them – they showed amazing bravery because they started letting them just hit them, but they were bouncing off their helmets and bouncing off their shoulders and their, and their backs. And, 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 and basically what the Indians were saying to them at that stage, Dravid especially, was, 
I'm not intimidated by you guys. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be monstered out of this by you. Do you know? And I, and I think what the Indians have done in, in in Test cricket against Australia is look them in the eye and now and say we're not going to be bullied by you guys anymore. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's seismic on a number of levels. I mean, firstly, whilst we're also discussing test cricket, England, who won their first test um, against Sri Lanka uh, yeah. last week, are going to play the second this Friday by the time you hear this. are going to win. Yeah, well, t- touch um, on that a little bit because I, uh, because I, didn't, uh, I didn't see a lot of that either. What, what did you think of that, William? Impressive, very impressive from England. Um, Sri Lanka batted appallingly during the first innings, but um, Test cricket is very much about taking a chance when you have them, and we did. Um, good, some good close catching, some really good bowling from Stuart Broad in the first innings, especially, and then we batted really well. Um, Johnny Best, unfortunately, was um, caught just short of forty, uh, just short of fifty. Got forty-seven, but Dan Lawrence yeah. looked a really, really classy operator. Um, yeah. When he played his shots, he looked comfortable. He adjusted yeah. well, but he imposed himself in the game. And then Joe Root was just magnificent. And I think we forget a how good a player he is, and b also um, how good a player of spin he is. Um, yeah. So he made a double hundred. That really put us in the driving seat. Just Butler also chipped in a few handy runs at the end. We we're all out four twenty five. It was a very good effort um, at goal. We had the advantage after that. I mean, Sri Lanka did come back in um, some style. We had to work really hard for the um, wickets in the second innings, but in the end, despite the fact that we lost quite a few innings in the, uh, well, we lost three in quick succession um, when we were aiming to win the game, we had a target in the 70s, but we got there in the end, and I think it was a very professional performance. Um, Sri Lanka will be better next time out, especially if they win the toss, but if you were to win there, that makes um, our match with India look look very, very exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, it will be anyway. Yeah, um, yeah it does. But we're gonna, but we're gonna go there. I mean, are we lacking depth in the spin department? I think you could say that we are. Um, for all that, I have nothing against Bess and Leach, but we are not lacking for batting depth. We're absolutely not. Um, Dan Lawrence may earn himself a place depending on how he bats there. We have Roots, Bearstow, um Pope could come back. I don't know if Ben Stokes will be back um following his um, following his unfortunate absence. He's had a bereavement. Um but I, I yeah. think it's yeah. just really, really exciting. So that's something I'm looking forward to in the future. And that's also for India just to touch on it because I've been rambling a bit. Um I mean, this is absolutely huge for them, not just in the sense they've won away and beaten Australia, but also in the sense they've unearthed three to four players who have gone to one of the most difficult assignments in Test cricket and proven up to the task. And that gives you a lot of depth. There's a lot of depth there. Um, Coley and Ashwin are back in the squad, I believe, but... um, some good problems to have, really oh, good problems to have for the oh, Indian country. For sure. I mean, India is just, they are, I mean, uh, mad cricket fans in India. I mean, the, and, and the depth that those guys have is incredible. 
this is why I, I, it's speaking as a proud New Zealander, I kind of find this test rankings a little bit of a nonsense, to be honest, because I know, and you know, and most people who know test cricket know that if we, New Zealand, were to go to Australia and play Australia in the backyard at test cricket, they'd wipe the floor with us. Um, and that's not any disparagement about New Zealand test cricket. We're a proud, plucky test playing nation. Not bad for five million people, but but we always go to Australia and get hammered because across five days, we can't live with them across five days. And the same goes for India. If we go to India, or even they, if both those, both those nations come to New Zealand, we can't live with them for five days because if we lose Kane Williamson early, we're gone, you know. We, we. I mean, he's he's a world class player. We've got some good bowlers who are who who are who are triers, and they and they're good. They, I mean, uh, you know, um, Wagner's good, Saudi's good. I mean, we've got some great bowlers, but but we don't have a Richard Hadley, and we don't and we and we don't have a, a you know we have a we have one one great player uh, and some very good other players. But if we, we can't go to England or uh, Australia and, and live with them, um, yeah, we beat a Pakistan player, at, a team, a poor Pakistan team at home. Um, and, yeah, that's easy enough at home New Zealand conditions. But even England, I mean, if we, uh, you know, whenever we play England in test matches in the last few years, it's been very tight draws and and or or in the final day we might pick it up or you might pick it up uh you know so i think it kind of i mean if you're honest about it i think the test playing sort of nations still run australia and india either either followed by south africa new zealand uh, england in any in any order um pakistan seemed to have fallen off the map a little bit um you know, I, I, I just I, I think that number one test playing it's nice. We'll take it, but I don't believe it, and I don't think any many true cricket, cricket fans who know their cricket believe that we could go to Australia, for example, and, and win a series because we might pick up one. But if we would, you know, across three, that's hard. And India to do that, and and I mean, just look at just look at the big deal it is for India to have done that in Australia, and India are, are good. Are really good. They've always they've always been great. I mean, and they and they and they had to they, they took Australia took them to the final day on the final test for that to to work out. Do you know, it's it's a big effort. And Australia have always been a great cricketing nation. And if you beat Australia, you're doing very well. Do you know? Yeah, completely agree with all that. I mean, we also say this about um, New Zealand, but they have, and I don't even I, I think. I was going to say actually quietly and efficiently, but actually they've been underrated. There hasn't been enough noise made about the fact that New Zealand have a world-class team and have done for some years now and are deserving, I think, of their place at the top. I mean, is it built built on the back of being tough to beat at home? Yep. But then again, all test rankings are all of the nation's, um, recently become very very tough to beat at home again that's why the india um result i think is just so so impressive but it's highly possible that in the world test championship final next year we get new zealand versus india in england mm. lords i believe and mm. my god what a game that would be if everybody could stay fit 
Um, well, I mean, could you it, imagine it, Bolts and yeah, lots of Bolton Williams, Bolton and Williams. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lockie yeah. Ferguson as well. Yeah, Lockie Ferguson, and and uh, you know, uh, look, actually, what you just said there actually kind of suits us. I mean, uh, if it was in Lords and we're playing India in the final at Lords, well, it's more like our conditions in an English summer than it is in Indian conditions. So we'd take that every day of the week. Um, because it's gonna it's gonna be more like home. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, hey, who, who knows? Okay, so let's um, let, let's let's leave the cricket there, and I just want to now go on to the um, the Premiership. Uh, did you watch the Liverpool Man United game, William? I did. Yeah. And what did you think? Um, it was. I think dull is the right way to call it. And I think there there was always going to be a chance it petered out. Um, I mean, maybe this is me speaking partly in hindsight, Um, but we we know how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's um, side operates um, when it comes to the big away assignments. They generally like to be a bit more reactive, sit a bit deeper, um, then have Bruno Fernandes, Spring, Rashford and Martial and sometimes Cavani down one side. Um, Pogba played and I think he was all right. He had some good touches. I think he's been in decent form recently, actually. As, um, he has as, been in great form recently. Um, yeah, he really is. Yeah. And I think we and Liverpool are struggling. And I have a theory about this. Um, it's not just the front three. People will focus on Salamane and Firmino. But actually, I think they've been massively impacted, not just by the Van Dyke injury, although I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. But by their defensive injuries in general, um, because you have a situation now where Jordan Henderson and Fabinho having to play centre back. Now Fabinho is doing brilliantly there. Um, I don't believe Henderson is a centre back. I, I think he's a wonderful player who still remains underrated. Um, mm. But Liverpool missed him in midfield, doing a lot of things that keep the flow ticking over. Um, yeah. Liverpool missed Fabinho in midfield, doing a lot of things that keep, keep the flow ticking over. Um, there isn't really a sort of service base for the front three unless you get the centre-backs going. And the centre-backs in themselves are absent are affected by the absence of Van Dyke and a proper sense back because you don't have anybody really passing from midfield apart from Thiago, who was great on Sunday, but can't I don't think he can do it all himself. Um then also there's the fact that Alexander Arnold and Robertson um are not in the same form that they used to be. This again is not really their fault. They've had to play every single conceivable game for what feels like at least the last 18 months. They are shattered. Um, Klopp mentioned it in his pre-match press conference. And I think um, Liverpool, unless they can find some way um, to put Henderson and Fabinho back in the field, maybe that just means playing um, Reese Williams as one of the centre-backs and pushing Penson back upwards. Um Maybe it means possibly changing formation or something, I don't know. Uh, I, I think they could struggle for the foreseeable future. But one thing I keep thinking about is um, Diego, Diego Jota. Um, yeah, you... what's, what's happened to him? Is he injured? He's injured, um, and the injury is quite serious. I don't think he'll be back for a little while. 
he okay. played in a dead rubber against Magician Land in the Champions League. I wonder how the rest of the season goes if he doesn't play that game. Um, because they miss him, I think, as much as anything. Terribly, yeah. They miss him. Ter- they miss him like a bloody, like a like a like a teenage boy misses his first love, doesn't he? I mean, they they miss him badly. Um, yeah. uh, now you speak with such knowledge on football, and and I and I don't. I, I'm gonna as as you said, you defer to my knowledge on golf. I'm gonna defer way defer to your knowledge on football because. I love the game. I'll watch it, uh, and but I don't pretend to know half of what any decent football fan knows. Growing up in the UK, so I'm I'm not going to say um, much about. I, here's but here's what I feel watching that as a as a neutral. It was dull. It was so fucking dull. Mm. Um, and 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 what I really disappoints me about these games now. Is that players go down at the faintest of contact, and uh, and and they roll around like they've been shot, and and I just think and and, the, and what annoys me more is the refs indulge them in this, like the contact sometimes is so faint, and 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 they fall, uh, and and the ref blows it up and stops. That stops the flow of the game. It makes it so stop-start, and 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 the players know that they can do this, and it just. I would love to see the refs say, "Listen, stop dropping like flies. Uh, I'm not going to pull it up. We're going to carry on unless I see proper." You know, a dangerous tackle or contact that has injured the player absolutely, completely should stop that. But this stuff where guys are, are brushing people and 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 falling in heaps, it just drives me crazy. And and I and and and, and it's a tactic that it's, that 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 they're using. And I'm sick of watching it. I'm with him. I'm t- I'm tired of it. Do you know? Yeah. Um... I think many a football fan has had those thoughts. I don't really know sort of how you change that standard because we have so much technology and I think there's so much, um, there's, there's so much of a spotlight now on even the slightest foul. Yeah. um, I don't think you can ever change back that standard. I think if anything, it will only go further the other way. Um, That's what VAR to some point, I think has been all about. Um, so I don't know that in the future you would have... It's going to get any better. Do you don't think it's, you think it's going to carry on down this road? I think it will carry on down this road. I, also, I think not just for um, reasons of clubs crying foul play on both sides of the coin, but also in the sense that um, it benefits attackers um, not to have... Um, it does. Those sort of yeah. fouls impinge, and I think I, I just can't see the modern game going against essentially what sells it, which is goals and excitement. Um, but it... yeah, because if because I look back at some old games, uh, you know, on the era of Roy Keane and mm. and, and, and Henri and 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 um, it was and Cantona and uh, and um, Dennis Burkamp. It was just a different. Teddy Sheringham, it was just mm. a different game. Do you know, like the tackles were willing, 
you know, they were some of them were pretty sharp, but mm-hmm. it was a kind of a feeling of just you know get up on with it, you know, uh, unless it was a shocker. Um, it just feels like it's gone way too much the other way now that the faintest of touches and it stopped and and it just it just it just for me it, as a as a neutral I, I think footballers are in, uh, I went to the football world cup in South Africa uh and, and watched New Zealand win one all with Italy we called it a win because it was I couldn't believe, I don't think the Italians could believe that they drew one all with New Zealand but um but the point was we watched some amazing football and, and to watch these guys live is incredible. They're great, supreme athletes. Amazing. But I just, I just feel like it's really, it's really denigrating the game to, to stop, um, to, to keep these guys falling like mannequins every single time. It stops everything. It stops the momentum. It, it's become very, it's become very static. Do you know, um, and uh, and and so that's my little uh, look. I, I watched it because, as as it's publicised, it's a crucial game. It's a top of the table clash. You think great, two good teams with amazing players who can score goals for fun, and and it was just pulled into some kind of human chess match. Do you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's my kind of little moan about it. Um, let's go through the other games. Um, West Brom, Chaldium, uh, West Brom, Chaldium three, Wolves two. That was a bit of a boil over, wasn't it? I was expecting Wolves to win that, but and I had that in my accumulator, and West Brom, Chaldium ruined that for me. Um, what do you think? Um, can't say a whole lot about this game, but um, as somebody who on the anti-post guide for my employer star sports um put walls up to do two things first of all to beat leicester over the course of the season where that's out the window and also yeah. to finish best of the um <laughs> big six sides um it made for a painful really good result um but <laughs> I, I think Wolves have struggled on two counts number one um their approach doesn't give them much slack um, they play a very controlled style of football under Nuno Espirito Santo. Yeah. It's not one that gets the best, I think, out of the players they have, which could really go toe to toe with um, any side in the league. They play a great game against big six sides. I'm not sure if it suits the rest of the league so much. And I think. There needs to be some rethinking of that long term. Also, they've just really struggled with injuries. They've just really struggled with injuries. To their yeah, well, they're, they're, they're half um, team at the moment. Who's that? Guy, uh, Paul Dents. Um, uh, is it Paul Dents? Daniel Paul Dents. Yeah. yeah, he's he's sensational, isn't he? He's amazing. Um, uh, they're missing him terribly. He's incredible. Yep. Um, okay, West Ham Burnley one uh, nil to West Ham over Burnley. Um, I, I, I have to admit, I have a bit of a soft spot for Burnley. I know they're ugly. I know they're big. And I think it's probably because they've got Chris Wood in front as New Zealand. So I have a bit of a soft spot for that. But I but I just love I love the pluck, you know, the pluck and the pluckiness of them. I think they, they always punch above their weight. Um, they always scrap well. But it's, they're not an attractive football team to watch. And, um, you know, and they went down to West Ham. Um, who are, you know, I have to say David Moyes, I kind of rate David Moyes, to be honest. What do you think? 
Um, yeah, um, I've got a lot of respect for Burnley doing what they do. Um, I think sometimes they can get a bit... I think sometimes they can actually get a bit toffee too much stick for their approach, just in the sense that I like to see football played on the ground and flat and fast with... Yeah. But um, the game... I, I think, if anything, actually, they've done quite well to get as much as they have from their approach in a game which in which everything is built on um, pressing. Um, yeah. And... Yeah. Having creative midfielders and using your fullbacks essentially as auxiliary wingers, um, etc., etc. So, big respect to them for that. Uh, West Ham ground it out. Um, they've they've been doing that a lot more this season. They look a really impressively complete side this season, and yeah, they there do. are a number of sort of clubs with stature um, and history, but non-big six clubs that are really making an impact. Um, them, Everton, Aston Villa, albeit that COVID has um, gone through them like a knife mm. through butter, um, yeah. have all had um, really impressive seasons. And also Leicester too, um, who, as I speak, famous last words, are leading Chelsea. Um, oh, wow. I was, I was actually, um, that's interesting you should say that because I actually have that later on to say, what, where are we up to? Okay, Talking about your love of teams playing it fast and along the ground, then you you must love watching Leeds because I, I love watching Leeds. I, I, yeah. I, I think they're fantastic to watch. Do you know? Yes, absolutely do. Um, I also think that this is one of those occasions where people love to go on about Leeds, prag, uh, about um, being pragmatic Leeds and, you know, um, sitting a bit deeper and whatever, but I think people forget two things. Number one, that's the way the side is equipped to play. That's the, what the players are bought for. That's what the whole coaching ethos is. And number two, also, um, that approach clearly has also worked for them. You know, they, they've been promoted. They won the championship. Um, they also look as if they're going to stay up without too much fuss in the premiership. Um, they may take a battering or two, but it's not yeah. all the time, you know. And it's and the six two against United. I, I think and, like, and, what, and what did you think of the of the of the nil one to Brighton the other day? I mean, this is what I'm leading to. Watching Leeds over the weekend, oh, they looked poor against Brighton. To be honest, now that was the first time I've seen them look kind of kind of shit. To be honest, um, now. Uh, as I say, Brighton are a well-drilled team. They're a, they're a good team, and, and and no game's an easy game to win in the Premier League. But um, for the first time, I watched Leeds, and I thought, you know, you guys for the about ten no twenty minutes into the game, I thought you guys don't look like you're on for this, um, and and sure enough, they weren't. Um, I actually think Brighton. Um, I mean, Leeds were not at their best, but here's the thing, actually. Um, let me turn the tables and ask you a question yeah. here. Based on info goal data, expected goals data, yeah. where do you think the computer models think Brighton should be? What's Brighton's um, expected position in the Premier League table? Um, not knowing that that table, um, but knowing that like using machine learning and artificial intelligence and all that stuff, I would say that their Brighton's expected place on the table would be I want to say tenth or eleventh. 
Not too bad. It's actually seventh. It's okay. Seventh, and it's been as high as, um, I think it's actually been as high as uh, fifth at some point. Wow. They simply, they have created as much chances as pretty much any of the sides currently, even in the running for the title, but they just wow. haven't made the most of them. Um, so, That's interesting. That's really interesting. So, so, so what's that? What's that site? Uh, just for our listeners, anyone to kind of look at what? What is it? What, what's the? Um, how can they look that up? Okay, so go to infogold.net. Then just go to click on the football shirt called Comps. Um, click English Premier League, and you scroll to the right, and it will give you an expected table. Um, it's under EXP, and right. then there's a forecast table. Um, and Brighton's data essentially has been really good um, for right. the whole season. They've been unlucky, to be fair. They were unlucky not to beat Man United. They were unlucky not to beat Liverpool. Um, that was at the Amex. Um, I can think of plenty of other occasions um, that's been the case. So no surprise, actually, that Brighton got a result. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them get a few more um, okay. down the line. Yep. With, with Leeds, um, they are inconsistent, but given the real quality they have, especially when Calvin Phillips comes back and hopefully it is fit, um, they'll be fine. You know, long run, they should be fine. You would just hope that they don't get a massive burnout, but um, the raw quality in that side is probably top half the Premier yeah. League anyway. Um, I, can't, I can't see those guys going down. I, I, I love watching Leeds play. I, I, I just think that, I think the coach is brilliant. I think, or the manager, uh, I think I just love them. I, I, I think as a neutral, I love watching Leeds uh, play. They, they, they give it a poke. Yeah, they might get hammered sometimes, but, but I, love, I just think they're they're brilliant to watch. Um, okay, uh, Chelsea scraped past Fulham one uh, nil. I watched that game, uh, and um, Chelsea to say they were relieved was a was an understatement um, because Fulham have become under Scott Parker. A properly good team. There are no pushovers for them, and uh, and and they uh, they they're fighting hard. They believe in what the process that they've you know that Scott Parker's put for them, and and uh, they I are really I, I'm I'm really impressed by Fulham, and and it took a long time for Chelsea to break them down, and uh, and um, uh, you know Chelsea. It's interesting. What do you think of Chelsea this year? Because I, 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 I'm, I'm fascinated by... I, I see that Lampard is favourite for the next guy to get the sack in the Premier League, which I'm, I don't believe personally. I think, I think, they've got, I've got, I think he's got the board's backing. But, I, but, but they have definitely... Their form in the last six or seven games has fallen off the cliff. Yeah, um... Chelsea have been a funny one um, because originally their whole issue was that they couldn't defend and save their life. And then um, Ben Chilwell got bedded into the side and they started Osuana Mendy and Thiago Silva was fit and things began to click into place. Um, Recently, their issue has been actually a sort of lack of creativity I've got theories over this. I think Timo Werner needs to be played during the middle. Um, I think Kai Havertz has been suffering from long COVID. 
Uh, Frank Lampard said the same. Christian Pulisic hasn't had a run of form in the side yet. Mason Mount's their best attacker. Um, Jorginho just doesn't look the player he was at Napoli. He seems to he needs um, basically to be in a side that's dominating games. Um, and when that's not the case, things are difficult for him. I, I just think it's a balance issue again. Like Liverpool, I think it's a balance issue. Um, when they find the first eleven that suits them uh, and suits what Lampard's trying to do, I think that'll be better. It's also interesting to note that they um, are creating more chances in their position and table suggests as well. Uh, okay, they're, they're meant to be, okay. I think, fourth according to info goal stats. Or something like that, and I would expect things will get better for them. But uh, it's tricky at the moment. Whilst three of their, I mean, they've got five forwards, I'd say, in terms of creative forwards, and three of them just aren't really there at the moment. Um, and I think the other one is is struggling. When they all get back to their best, or something like it. I think you'll see Chelsea become a much um, more fearsome force. Yeah. Um, I've been underwhelmed by Werner. I, I thought he was going to be incredible and just isn't. Uh, one, thing and... I'd say, one thing I'd say with Werner is give him time and keep the faith. Um, he's He's been getting lots and lots of great chances. The law of averages suggests he'll put them away sooner rather than later. Like he began to in February when they went on that run. Yeah. Um, I also think he will do best when just played up front um, with players supporting him. I think there might still be an issue where Chelsea don't really know what their best side is. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I agree. Leicester at Southampton. Leicester um, beat Southampton quite easily, 2-0. Um, Southampton have been... They've been very impressive, haven't they? Uh, and uh, and Leicester, Leicester as well um, have been um, have been great. I mean, uh, Jamie Vardy is for me just so underrated. I mean, uh, he, he he's an incredible player for a guy that I watched a documentary on that guy. That you know, okay, he's not particularly well liked and all that, but gee whiz. He came from being a Sparky to and playing kind of like you know like non-league football, um, right up to where he is now. The guys are, it's, it's an incredible story, isn't it? Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he just continues to be absolutely tireless. Thirty-four. Um, I think he's scored something like eighty-two Premier League goals or something past the age of thirty. I may be called talking complete nonsense, but. Um, he scored a hell of a lot of goals um, over the age of 30. I think, like, only the likes of Shearer and Wright are ahead of him, which shows you the company that he's. It's is. pretty good company, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, no, yeah. He, he just continues to be brilliant. I have to give full credit to Leicester. I thought they'd gone a bit bust, and I thought they'd been worked out by most sides after their horrible end of the season last year. Um, yeah. It, it just just hasn't proven to be the case. They've just come back roaring best than ever. Um, Harvey Barnes has gone to a new level. James Madison's as good as ever. Wesley Fafana looks just an absolute steal. Um, guy looks like, like he's worth his weight in gold. Timothy Castagna has had a great season too. Uh, Wilfred Ndidi continues to be sort of underrated, doing lots of those 
really tough jobs. And um, I think you've also got to give credit to Justin James. So no, um, really, they've done really well. They look like a really good side, and they are absolutely title contenders. And they have to be um, respected and considered as such. I, I think Leicester, if they don't, um, I mean, I don't think people would have them as title winners just yet, but they'll play a big role in where um, it ends up going. You know, they're, they're playing Chelsea as we speak, um, but... Still in front? Still in front, um, although Chelsea have had quite a few good chances um, to get back level. But there are a number of teams who are yet to come to the King Power, and I think they're still yet to visit quite a few teams. And that, that'll be interesting. That'll be really interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I'm actually with you. I kind of thought Leicester would be fair to middling this year, maybe seventh or eighth or fifth or sixth or something like that. I, I never realised, um, uh, I never thought that they would kind of come back again. Um, because as you say, their, their, their run at the end of last season was a horror run. And I thought, well, that, that might be it. As you say, other teams might have worked them out. But no, not a bar of it. They're, they're fantastic. Okay, last few games. Tottenham Hotspur um, uh, routed uh, Sheffield three one. No, the less said about that, the better. I mean, I don't, you know, uh, Tottenham are a team for me. I, I just they 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 you know they're good, but they, they, they I would have thought that they would have. Um, there was a patch there a, a few weeks ago where I actually thought that they were really going to do something, but. It's same old Tottenham. Um, and then uh, I'll just run through these last three and then you can just sort of um, go uh, pick the bones out of each of them. So, as I say, Tottenham uh, three, Sheffield United one, Man City four, Crystal Palace nil, Arsenal three, Newcastle nil. What Any sort of um, anything you want to highlight in any of those games? Um, yeah, so we'll go for a quick run through. Um, firstly, um, Tottenham three, one against Sheffield United. Um, just was the right result. Tottenham were far too good for them. They've had a bit of a stutter recently, but I don't think they've actually deserved to drop the points. Um, Tottenham need to find a sort of beast mode in the way that um, City and uh, I think actually maybe just no, not just City, but Aston Villa at some point the season have had um, another tease where they just really stamp on the pedals and don't let go. But um, Tangy on Dombele was really good and that goal was phenomenal. Yeah, uh, I still have them as big title challenges. I know they underperform on the numbers a bit, but there's like a reason. There's, a, there's, there's just a clear correlation. There's a penalty for Chelsea, surely. William, yeah. why would you not play Gareth Bale if he was fit? Um, it's possibly a difficulty in terms of where to fit him inside the team, but... Um, he should be he should be playing if he's fit. I think there's been a lot of difficulty getting him fit though. Um I, I think right. it's it's been tough um to get him fit. Um but right. I remain Because if, if if for me, if he was fit, I would he would be alongside Song and Kane, he would be the third name on my team list. You know? Um if he's not fit, I understand fine. But Man, this this guy is this guy can play. We all know that. Um, if he's if he's fit, would you not play him? 
yes, I would. But the issue here is mainly the fact that he hasn't been able to get fit. And that also he... Um, do you mean by get fit, do you mean that he is injured? Um, yeah, in, injured. Yeah. It, I don't think it's been a sort of deliberately lazy thing in the same way it was at Madrid. But I think we're beginning to see why he couldn't get into that side. If you can get a good run of games out of him... Um, then yeah, definitely has lots to be had. Um, de- then, de- then definitely there, there's sort of lots to be had um, from. Do it. you see Bale playing a a more a, a more prominent role in the later the season goes in the cup competitions and and uh, and, and the league? Comp- Do you see his influence growing? I guess is what I'm asking. It be t- it's probably going to be tough because there's also Bergwijn, but um, he seems to be more like there than Deli Alley. Um, and I think at some point Mourinho is going to have to make those changes. I-, I don't think he can really put Son and Kane through um, a 50 game season, not if he wants no. to have those um, uh, aims no. at winning. Um, something like the title or maybe also the Europa League or FA Cup and there's a League Cup final as well in all of this um, but but it depends on him getting fit I think if he gets I think if he gets fit um, I'd expect him to play but that's clearly proving to be a big challenge at the moment um, and just quickly on the other two games City, so, so impressive against um, Crystal Palace. They look like the side that won the two titles. Not only the one that beat Liverpool um, by a point in what was an incredible title race, but also, I think, the one that um, dominated the Premier League and won getting 100 points in the season. I don't think they'll go um, anywhere near to that level but they look to have found the right balance between attack and defence. and Yeah, because uh, they looked poor at the start of the season, didn't they, City? They looked really, really average, didn't they? They did. Um, they, they did look um, rather average and rather laboured. But I think with Ruben Diaz playing as well as he has... Um, James Madison uh, sorry not James Madison he's just scored for Leicester against Chelsea which is why I've mixed it up so Ch- Leicester oh, against Chelsea um, what's the score now? Um, it is 2-0 to Leicester oh, um, was how, how long was, was time to go? Or was it 41 pretty... minutes and 26 seconds on the clock at the moment okay so um, okay. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's significant 2-0 Leicester over Chelsea I mean yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so um, and what do you think about uh, John Stones uh, for Man City? Do you think this guy? I mean, now that he's showing a bit of form again, would you put him back in the England team? Yeah, I, I, I would. Um, I, I think with the England team, um, we've had um, sort of a really interesting two or three years where we've suddenly managed to get a side full of young talents who are playing in the Premier League and Champions League regularly and got a formation that sort of fit them. There's been a bit of tinkering with that. There's been some disappointing performances, but I think we should still remain reasonably optimistic in the long run. And I think Stones is a big part of that future. Um, 
So okay, and then uh, the last game, uh, Arsenal Newcastle, three nil for Arsenal. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, Newcastle are in trouble. Um, th- that was not good. They no, it was it was, was ugly, like, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm an Arsenal yeah. fan um, for my sins, and we appear <laughs> to be going in the right direction, namely due to one influence, Emil Smith Rowe. The sort of creative buzzing number ten that we've needed and been missing for a long period of the season. He's looked good. Bianca Sucker has looked good. Um, it's really big that Obama Yang managed to score those two goals, especially after missing um, a big so shot early on. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's, he's missed a truck full, hasn't he? I mean, yes. it was it was it was actually relief to see the guy score. Yeah, it was, um, and for him to get two for his confidence. Also, Kieran Tierney was brilliant. We have a core of players. The key for the rest of our season is basically can they carry us in the same way Aubameyang did last season. Interesting stat. We've now been creating more chances than our opponents over a 10-game stretch for the first time since Mikel Arteta joined. That, to me, feels really, really big. Um, The issue is, of course, that the faces will get much harder. Um, they'll get much harder. We beat Brighton um, and West Brom. I know we beat Chelsea, but Chelsea have been um, struggling recently, and I don't think Newcastle put up much resistance yesterday, but that said, a run of four wins in five just changes the calculus in the sense that there isn't so much pressure on Arteta or the lads. Um, I, I think also there's places in the team for Smith Rowe, Saka, Tierney, Aubameyang, you know what it's like to score now. Um, and all of that, I think, counts. So it would be reason to be hopeful going forward, but I wouldn't get over, I wouldn't get overly excited about um, that. And what about thing. the earlier game tonight, West Ham, um, West Bromwich, Albion? I didn't catch the result. Did you see the result, West Ham, WBA? Um, I did West Ham one two one. Um, just they're just going about their business in a very professional and quiet manner. Um, they, yeah. They're finally playing like the sum of their parts. West Ham have always had teams that have been better than their finishing position at the end of the season. Yeah, and... I, but I, I like that about Moyes too. Is he's he, he drills teams well, doesn't he? Everyone knows their job on a Moyes team, don't they? I mean, remember when he was managing with Everton? Everyone knew their job. Okay, he went through a bit of an unfortunate patch with Man United. I actually don't think half of that was his fault, to be fair. I actually think he needed more time because I actually think he's a really good manager. And and he, and he under David Moyes, you know what you're supposed to do. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I think they are benefiting from his management. I know that he, I think he left at some point in the past, but he definitely saved him from relegation, I'm quite sure. Um, and they're going the right way. And this season holds great promise for them. I've put them up as one of three teams for an FA Cup run. I think um, that's, that's a possibility. I think also that. They, they might have a chance at Europe. Um, I mean, to be fair, the top 10 are separated by something like 10 points and West Ham are going toe-to-toe with everybody and getting really good results. So no telling what they can do, especially as Mikel Antonio is back and has scored his last two games, I think. 
Okay. And just to wrap it up, uh, a couple of um, uh, uh, things I'm gonna, then I'm going to throw it over to you for anything else that you th- you can look at in terms of a sporting sort of thing for the for the next week coming up. Um, the next major sporting event on the on the tennis front is the Australian Open. Um, now we all know what COVID's doing to the world and what you know how we're all kind of struggling with that. Um, <laughs> no one's struggling more than Novak Djokovic, uh, who has uh, written oh. a letter to the head of Australian tennis, um, saying calling for an, an easing of the COVID lockdown for him and his entourage as he gets ready for the Australian Open, saying that it's kind of draconian the measures and and he's stuck in the hotel room and he can't get out and, and do what he needs to do, and uh, and the Australian player Nick Kyrgios. Um, called Novak Djokovic a tool, and I quote, <laughs> for for his kind of uh, attitude to, uh, to to moan about his um, situation in the Australian Open. Now, it's interesting, though. With Australian Open and held in Australia with the, the entourage with every one of those players, it ends up being over a 1,000 people with their trainers and their coaches and all the players and, and all their fans and supporters and what have you, they all have to go through lockdown. They all have to go through an isolation uh, hotel sort of thing over the next two weeks and, 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 and what have you. Uh, so uh, I'm interested to see what you, you, know, what you, what you think of, uh, of Djokovic's um, comments about how he's kind of feeling a little bit uh, that this isn't fair, that he, you know, what, what, you know, what do you feel with him? Um. I think that Novak Djokovic has had a... No, I don't think he's had a bad time when it comes to COVID. I just think he's been so wrong on COVID all the time. Um, like, literally, from the very start. I mean, didn't he play his own ceremony yeah. and then catch COVID at it? And then he started he giving all this um, nonsense about sort of anti-mask movements or whatever. Um, the guy doesn't know what it, he's talking about when it comes to COVID. I'm not surprised he's whining about it. He'll probably catch it and end up missing the tournament that way. Um, I have sympathy, by the way, for professional athletes who have to bubble. It's a difficult experience. Um, oh, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it must be very. I agree. It must be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I had to do self isolation over Christmas, uh, and I was going bonkers. because I had my whole house to go. <laughs> Up and down, which, you know. I think my way now, as an example, I don't tell, the, these people in the hotel rooms, right? It's difficult, I understand, but at the same time, they're not going to be there forever. Um, they are also getting to play um, their sports. Um, they're also the fact that it's happening in Australia actually is probably credit to the organisers, given the approach they've taken to COVID. I think actually. Whilst my opinion on Djokovic is that he should shut up, put up and shut up, because um, he he knew the deal, right? Um, yeah, you know the deal. Yeah, yeah. but my, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing. I, I agree. Uh, uh, he knew the deal. He perhaps needed to just do his time and 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 do it with a little less um, protest, and and he maybe wouldn't get the the kind of stick he's getting. But anyway, you were going to say. Um, but this is a more interesting and perhaps ominous test case for the year ahead because we have a sporting calendar which assumes that most events will go ahead this year. 
Um, I don't think, yeah. by the way, I don't think that's too foolhardy. We have stuff like protocols for this now. Like, you can get tested um, privately or via public means. You can get tested before you go, before you land. You have rapid lateral flow. There's much bigger capacity. It's easy to find that people have the virus before, right? Um, and and yeah. you've got apps or whatever. But we've got the Olympics. Um, some people will say... Do you, honestly think that's, do you honestly think that's going to go ahead? My feeling is that you would not make it a certainty. I, I would not be queuing up to back 101, the Olympics going ahead. I probably wouldn't be wanting even to take odds on it going ahead. But, but, yeah. this is January. Um, the Olympics is in the summer. There's, there's mm. a lot of time to go. You know, we, I mean, as we speak, it's eight weeks until the Cheltenham Festival. Right, there's a lot of time to pass here. We don't really yeah. know what the situation is going to be in terms of caseloads or whatever. I would hope for the summer, yeah. particularly as Japan has done a better job with coronavirus than most other places, um, that it'd be feasible to have people coming to the Olympics. But I think much will count basically on community spreads elsewhere and the ability to quarantine people um, efficiently. Um, in Japan. Now, again, they have better quarantine systems than we do here, um, as an example. So it feasibly can be done, but the Olympic Village is thousands of people. I think it's something like five to six thousand. It's going to be a proper task. It might might feasibly be easier um, even to do something like the Tour de France, where you have a travelling caravan or whatever. Um, then somewhere where a lot of people need to come in from all over the world. But that said, um, I would be... I I, I would be cautiously concerned at this point for something like the Olympics, whilst also keeping in mind that everything will look bad now because we're all in the middle of this second wave. Um, But people are vaccinated, there are lockdowns everywhere. Um, Yeah. By the summer, you would hope that transmission had come down, and also you have protocols. Like there was no way you could have gotten, um, you could have had um, Olympics and stuff last season um, or last year because the infrastructure wasn't there. You could conceivably rapidly test people every day at the Olympics um, and exclude those who yeah. tested positive for, for lateral flow tests. You could do even PCR before and after arrival, all of that stuff. So. I think possible um, to do the Olympics. I think I think it's much more possible than um, than it was last year. I, I think also it's interesting the Euros, um, which is meant mm. to be multi-city this year. I can't see it going ahead to crowds because there'll be too many differences in situation between what no. country A and country B and country C. Yeah, but that's going to be something that's going to be tricky to do. Um, th- th- that's going to be difficult squads flying through Europe into different countries um, I also have slight fears about something like the Champions League or whatever, particularly as the French government and I completely understand this by the way um, they are not keen on having visitors at all because of the new strains and I think they've even made elite sport part of that lockdown Yeah. right now let's talk the final uh, throw of the dice. 
talking about Cheltenham, you mentioned it before. Let's just talk about Cheltenham. Uh, I uh, let's not talk about the crowds because I I, I, I don't think we're going to have it. And, uh, and and so what I want to ask you is watching the racing over the last few months. If I was to give you a thousand pounds. What, what horse would you be backing at Cheltenham with a thousand pounds of my money? This sounds really basic, but it would be Envoy Lenda Marsh. Um, he does everything right. We know that he handles all ground, we know that he handles all pay situations. Um, he didn't get the workout maybe you'd have hoped for because the steering for launch fell on Sunday at Punchestown, but... Was there any point of that race at Punchestown where you thought, hello, he's not enjoying this? Because I certainly felt that. Um, he, he took a bit of time to warm up coming around the home straight, but but he hadn't... Yeah, but, but once he kicked into gear, he was yeah. amazing, wasn't he? He yeah. hadn't been doing all that much. I mean, to be fair to him, it looked as if he was in trouble and in big trouble in the Ballymore last year around the yeah. home turn. Um, yeah. Easy work and the big getaway got away from him, but he came roaring up the hill and in the end won it with plenty in hand. I, I think he can do the same in the marsh. I know it's a bit of a boring answer, but. No, 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 yeah. because I mean, you've got to turn that thousand pounds into profit. So, I mean, you, you've got to do whatever you've got to do to turn that into profit. So, I, I don't. I don't find that because my answer is boring. My answer is uh, honeysuckle and, and the mare's hurdle. Now she might not, she might not go. For, she might go for the champion hurdle, but I, I don't think so. I think she, she'll go for the mare's hurdle, and and I I just love that horse. I I love honeysuckle. She 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 did so well last year, um, and and, and I, just, I I I I I saw her first ever run, and I thought, hello, this is something special. And I've been backing her ever since. She's never let me down. Um, and she just keeps winning and winning and winning. So my my answer is Honeysuckle at Cheltenham. I just just think she is a wonder horse. You know? yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely agree um, with Honeysuckle um, as just being an incredible horse. Probably actually one who's still underrated too. Um I, I give her a big chance in the mayor's hurdle. It'll be interesting to see her take on Concertista. That, that will give us a really interesting um, yeah. sort of addition yeah. to the first day. But I probably back Honeysuckle at the moment. Um, felt she did well to get home against the fast finishing Royal Pump in the Hatton's Grace. Well, Ronald Pump is another horse I think is underrated. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'm, a, I'm with you at Ronald Pump. I love Ronald Pump. That, that horse is a fighter. Um, it's, it, it's, uh, it's gutsy. And any race that Ronald Pump is in, I'll, I'll take a look at, I'll take a look at it because I just think he's, I think he's, I think he's got balls. I think he's a really hardy horse. And the way he was cutting Honeysuckle down, at Hatton's Grace, I was a bit worried. Um, but, uh, you know, Honeysuckle's got a good turn of foot and she managed to stave him off. But that Ronald Pump is something else too. Okay, so that is The Man in the Stand, episode one. Uh, thank you, William, for uh, for, for, for pulling uh, this 90-minute uh, um, uh, extravaganza with me. So I really appreciate it. And I hope you'll 
you know, come back and do it again with me. And, always, um, always. No question. Cheers, mate. I really appreciate that. And I hope that anyone who's listening, our, our one audience member, um, enjoys it. And, um, yeah, so uh, this is going to be a weekly, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, next week we'll talk again and, and we'll look at the NFL and what happened at, at the playoffs in the NFL or the golf. Um, we'll look at the football. We'll look at any, you know, the, any of the other major sporting events that go on. Um, previewing and reviewing um, the major sporting events of the of the week for all those sports addicts out there. So I hope you enjoy the man in the stand and uh, I hope you want to keep listening. Thanks very much, William. No worries. It's been an absolute pleasure and I've really, really enjoyed it. Me too, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank Talk you very later. much. Bye. All right.